Welcome to Parenthood Pals. I'm Caleb Hoyer. And I'm Melissa Fight Johnson. And today I'm doubly excited. What double? For our guests because they're both returning, but it's not just one of my sisters. It's all of my sisters. <laughs> Every sister <laughs> you have. Lindsay Martin and Jay Johnson. Woo! Welcome. Yay! Welcome. Yay. And people might remember that Jay is my best friend. That's cool, too. There's just like, you know, a little... little <laughs> She's little, just, why we're friends. Yeah, that's know? true. It's it's how I know every single person in this Zoom room right now. <laughs> that's yeah. right. That's very exciting. Also, this time, Lindsay is joining our three-timers club. Yay! Yay! Very exciting. Lindsay was last on for... Season four, episode three, Everything is Not Okay. And Jay was last on for season one, episode eight, Rubber Band Ball. And we haven't seen her since. That's not true. (laughs) 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 That's not true at all. Happy to be back. So what have you both been up to? Let's start with Lindsay. It's been less time since we've had you on. Yeah. Uh, Not much, just gearing up for school, ready to get these kids back in school. Avery's going to be in second grade. Well, Jaden's going to be in eighth grade. Wow. Avery in second grade, trip in kindergarten. Oh. And then Austin will start going to parents day out with fall. So. <laughs> oh, already. So you will really have some mornings with like no kids. Yeah, just one or two mornings a week so I can get some errands done. But wow. still very valuable time. I'm pumped. That's yeah. like a new chapter in your yeah. life. Yeah. Some moments with no kids in the house. Look at that. Yeah. Four kids, like a true Braverman, you know? That's just, that's, <laughs> that's awesome. Boy, girl, boy, girl. Wow. wow. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Well, I love the Bravermans, but I hope none of your kids end up like any of them. It's <laughs> just <laughs> you say that. I'm like, oh, please don't let Avery be like Sarah. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like Avery's already kind of smarter. I feel like you. Sarah's the best option in a lot I mean, of ways. That's true, yeah. too, which maybe that's. Maybe that's. Bad. I don't know. I mean, some people would say Adam, but I don't want your kids to grow up all sanctimonious. So and with the rage no, issues, yeah, not a fan. <laughs> no. Oh, great. And Jay, in the I mean, it's been like two years, I think, since we recorded. Yeah. Yes. Yours. And we're all over the place with new adventures too, new jobs and houses and schools, but all very exciting stuff. My kids will both be in elementary school together now because Oscar is five and Rose is seven. So it'll be fun to have them in the same place. They're pretty excited. That's so great. Uh, oh, it's really, really nice of like both of you to join us. But like, Jay's literally about to move. <laughs> yes. So this is especially nice. I'm wearing my daughter's headphones for this recording because <laughs> anything else I own is packed away at the moment. Oh, that's very cool of <laughs> you to do suit this. you. I love that. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Pink is my color. They kind of look like mine, which makes me think I have a child's headphones. (laughs) I love it. Well, I'm so, I mean, I love you guys so much as anyone who listens to our podcast knows. And we haven't been doing so much of the having a guest on who has like a specific tie to the storyline lately. But for this one, it had all the siblings together. And I just thought, you know, It's maybe a flimsy tie, but it's an excuse for us all to be together. And that seems like a great idea. Agreed. I love it. Yeah, I don't think it's flimsy at all. 
Yeah, I love it. I mean, once I saw it, I almost cried and not because of the show, because I was thinking of having (laughs) both my sisters on. Anyway. Okay, so this is Parenthood (laughs) Season 5, Episode 15, Just Like at Home. It was written by Ian Deitchman and Kristen Rusk Robinson. It was directed by Allison Liddy Brown. It originally aired on February 27th, 2014. And here is the TV Guide synopsis. Julia turns to her siblings for support. Jasmine and Crosby move in with Zeke and Camille while work is being done on their home. And Drew asks Amber for romantic advice. Ugh, the separate living situations right off the bat for Joel and Julia were so uncomfortable. And it all felt weirdly reminiscent of when our parents got divorced. And we were all grown by that point. But just like everyone's kind of on their best behavior and almost being too polite to each other. And now the kids, like mostly Sydney, pretending to be enthusiastic about something they couldn't want to do less and... Just so awkward. I'm not going anywhere with this. <laughs> I just thought it was horrible. I, well, did, did it make either of you think of that? Not in particular. No, honestly, because I feel like, you know, we were grown, so it didn't affect us the same way. You know, Victor and Sydney are still in elementary school. Yeah. So obviously affecting them differently. I mean, our situation did not affect my daily life. Yeah, I really felt for all the characters and not in any way that I related to personally. Um, As someone who doesn't really watch the show, I don't know what led up to this. And so I was really struck by the fact that they weren't really playing sides of who was in the right or wrong here. I think we were really supposed to feel for everybody. And I did. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, that's a good point. Well, and as far as best behavior, I I feel like Julia definitely was, but Joel was just kind of like, no, we're just doing this, you know? And like when he said goodbye to Julia, when he picked up the kids, it looked like she was ready to have a conversation about how the weekend was going to go. And he's just like, well, have a good weekend. Yeah. Yeah. I was out. He's like, we're not going to be chummy about this. I left to leave. So (laughs) see ya. I thought one of the saddest moments (laughs) It's like kind of ridiculous because other moments were more obviously sad, but I found it sad the way that Julia sort of like cupped her mouth as the kids were leaving. And she's like, like, bye. Like, like, I don't know if that makes sense, but like, like she was trying to make a tunnel all the way to their ears that would last across town. I don't know. It was like something like it was trying a little too hard. Like, like I'm fine. Bye. Like, I don't know. It like really got me if that makes any sense. Yeah. This is slightly out of order, but I'm going to include it here because I don't know where else the Adam and Christina on a spa trip really fits in. Was the, the, like oh, was that place like a, a sponsor of this show or something? I was like, what is this? Did it strike anyone else well, as weird? Funny you should ask because I did look it up. And <laughs> Mendocino is on the Pacific coast. It's about a three-hour drive north of Berkeley. It's a community. Like, it's a town. I... My favorite fact about it, which, Lindsay, I think you'll enjoy, is that Mendocino stood in as the fictional Cabot Cove on Murder, She Wrote. <laughs> oh, nice. Okay. I guess it's like the most New England-looking part of the Pacific Coast. Of Northern California. Yeah. I also wanted to bring it up now because I thought this was exposition worthy of... Thanks, Big Brother. <laughs> I can't believe we just got in the car and drove to Mendocino. That's so crazy up in the city. 
I can't believe we just did this thing that you were there for the whole time and know exactly already. (laughs) (laughs) I just just thought it was really clunky, especially when then when he calls Julia to check on her and she's like, you are not interrupting your weekend getaway to Mendocino. It's like, well, she says it. And yeah, that, that to me felt better. But because Christina had already referred to it. Maybe like, well, Mend- now you're just piling on. Maybe Mendocino was like, you have to say it five times for me to sponsor you. Um, <laughs> I don't think it's a real sponsor, but it just struck me as very weird. Why are they in mud baths? Like, give they don't no time well, for funny a real you should ask that because I also <laughs> looked up mud baths, <laughs> and according to HowStuffWorks.com. Mud baths have been used for thousands of years around the world for their healing properties. These include anti-inflammatory benefits, skin benefits from minerals like sodium, magnesium, and potassium, and even improving spinal symptoms in patients with spondylitis, whatever that is. But I think that's just a, an outgrowth of the anti-inflammatory thing. Oh. It's like swollen something in the spinal Why didn't column they go when Christina had cancer? I feel like that would have made more sense. Now that she's like thanking him for being there for her. I'm like, this was a half season ago. Like you've run the for mayor since then. gave them that trip. Also, they don't deserve the lessings. I like they're constantly <laughs> making fun of the lessings and the lessings are giving them this beautiful trip. I was like, how dare you? <laughs> anyway, I'm done. I also, does anyone else think Mendocino sounds like a brand of Pepperidge Farm cookies? <laughs> yes. I keep thinking of like Montecito. Is that um, like a. It might be. <laughs> I think you're it right. was so close. Is Caleb just going to bring up stuff the whole episode and be like, anybody else feel that way? And everybody's going to be like, no. <laughs> this is our sibling dynamic. <laughs> Am I alone? With I don't think guys? all of it's any weirder than him needing to get a phone call with his sister before he can have sex with his wife. <laughs> yeah. Hold on, I just need to talk to my sister real quick. All right, now let me get my trunks off. Oh, weird see, I thought it was really sweet, but I wasn't thinking of it like that. And now you're right. <laughs> I thought it was weird that he lied to her because, like, but then I thought, oh, maybe. He, uh, yeah. He, I was like, it's not like you're calling your mistress. Why aren't you just saying I'm calling my sister like to check on her? Was he afraid that Christina would be like, oh, that's so sad. We should go. Or now I don't want to have sex with you because I'm sad thinking about your sister's divorce. And so he, 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 yeah. Oh yeah. I think he was trying to be a team player for the fun weekend. Okay. All right. Not burst the bubble of like, I'm not really here mentally with you because I'm so worried about her. Yeah. It's strange though. I thought his concern for his little sister was a very good I did too. look on him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the timing was odd <laughs> now that you yeah. mentioned it. Hey, when Mendocino calls, I don't know. Anyway, I think that's enough said. <laughs> They're about sponsoring the spa us trip. too. <laughs> <laughs> Please give us weekend spa, spa trips for everyone. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the, oh the, I had one other note on the spa trip, which is God love Adam and Christina. At least they make each other laugh. <laughs> It's a very hokey week for them. Yeah. But um, I was like, Hey, what does the half mean when they say that sex two and a half times? Anybody want to guess? (laughs) I have a guess. Yeah. Anyway, we'll just fill in dot, dot, dot. All right. Yeah. So back to Julia and Joel. Julia sleeping in Sydney's bed. 
this may be my last, well, not my last random reference, but here's one more. Her sleeping in Sydney's bed weirdly made me think of that old song, A House Is Not a Home, corny as that may be, but I always thought it was kind of an odd lyric at the beginning of that song. A chair is still a chair even when there's no one sitting there, but a chair is not a house and a house is not a home. It like made sense watching this. I was like, oh, even if there's no one sitting in a chair, a chair remains a chair. It doesn't change the essence of the thing. But for a house to be a home, it requires people in it who love each other and are there for each other. Mm. If you don't have that, then a home is just a house. Julia's home, but it's not a home. Sure. Now with the kids gone, it's just a house. Well, and I think it would be extra difficult to be staying in the home where your family used to be, you know, that it would be a whole different experience for Joel being in a new apartment. Like, oh, this is a new place, new start. Here's how this goes from here. But to stay in the home where your family used to be, and now one of you is not there. And sometimes only one of you is there. Yeah, that would be a really strange dynamic to adapt to. Definitely. Especially since Julia's house is so huge compared to this like tiny apartment Joel got. It probably like like you said, yeah, it's new anyway. But even when the kids aren't there, it's not like oh, all this space. What do I do with it? You know, I'm just echoing in it. I thought this episode was sort of unique for the number of phone calls that Mm. we had between people. I didn't think about that. (laughs) Well, and and my assumption is when the sort of the climax of the story is everyone showing up in person, you have to preface that with phone calls. If this were any other episode of Parenthood, (laughs) every one of those phone calls would have been a drop in. Oh, I just want to see how you're doing. (laughs) Because that's more compelling than a phone call on TV. But then it spoils the payoff of, oh, they all came over. But I liked especially Julia's phone call with Sarah. Hey, I didn't wake you up, did I? Not at all. I'm up. I'm going for a run. A run? Yeah. You can sound less surprised. I I wasn't surprised. surprised. I know you run. It's good. It's healthy. It's a great way to... Anyway, how was the night? It was eight hours. Oh, not much sleep, huh? Nope. Not much. Actually, I ended up in Sydney's bed, so there's that. Okay, makes sense. It's so, I mean, logically, I know that this is just for the weekend, but it's so quiet in here. It just, it feels empty. It sounds empty. You get used to it. I don't want to get used to it. No, no, I don't, I don't mean, I mean, it won't always be this way. It gets better. Julia? Okay, thank you. I'm gonna go. Um, oh, come on. Hey, do you want to do something later? Have lunch or something? Um, maybe. Uh, let me call you. Let me. I'll call you after. Okay. Okay. Bye. Bye. Hey, I have a question, sibling related. After hearing that phone call, do any of you try to cheer one of the other ones up and just fail spectacularly, like Sarah just did? <laughs> like you're just like, I'm gonna just make everything better for one of the, one of you, and then you don't. Does that ever happen? That just seemed like it might be a fun question. I'll have to ask Lindsay and Caleb how much of a disappointment I Yeah. Heard. Hey, everybody, <laughs> rate each other. I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm just mostly kidding. You guys are so close. Like, yeah, I feel like even if we did fail each other, it wouldn't be a failure because we still, Aww. like, oh, it was coming from a good place. It doesn't matter what they said, you know. 
Yeah. Yeah. Or that any of us would ever say, mm, <laughs> you failed work. on that one. Yeah. <laughs> Better luck next time. <laughs> Bring your A game. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't think of any of us ever like calling the other to cheer them up, hmm. but more like a check in. Like, uh, yeah. How yeah. are you? And that you can't really fail at. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think you guys, by the way, are like the closest siblings I know, like of any <laughs> siblings. It's really beautiful. Like Aww. the way that you Aww. guys are. Yeah. Love you guys. Love you. <laughs> I just thought of this as you were playing this uh, recording. You know, Sarah had been through divorce previously, so she knows what it's like. And Julia is new to it. Uh, and just kind of relating that to Victor and Sydney going through this huge shift in family dynamic. I thought it was interesting how much more Victor rolled with the whole situation than Sydney. When Julia was giving him the backpacks earlier in the episode, he's like, it's just a backpack. Julia's like, thank you. And he's like, yep, okay, so yeah, we're going to dad's. You know, he's used to getting shuffled around and big upheavals in his family environment. And Sydney clearly is not. And just how they handled it differently. And Sarah being the veteran on her family dynamic changing and Julia not. just having different perspectives about it. That's a good parallel. I thought the exact same thing about the kids all throughout mm. for the same reasons. And with Sydney, I, I thought like, that's not even her being spoiled, which I know isn't what you were saying, but I think it's just, she has no prior experience and no tools. Oh. I mean, that's her whole life. She's known two parent house and we all live together. And yeah, Victor's experience is very different. And this is even with all this upheaval, it's probably more stable than lots of environments he's been in before. Yeah. Jay, were you surprised to know that Victor existed? Because last time you were on. <laughs> I figured I just forgot. <laughs> <laughs> no, they adopted him um, okay. last season. Yeah. And so when you were on before, it was primarily to talk about Sydney, you know. Right. And, I remember her. Yeah. You were like, I don't remember this brother. That's why he, he didn't. Okay. He I mean, he existed, um, you know with a different family his yeah family we, coincidentally we did, yeah. um their marital problems are his fault i'm kidding okay. <laughs> they're not really. they're not no at all. not at all <laughs> although um i mean i don't think that they are but it is interesting i mean i wonder if that's kind of when it started though because um it wouldn't be his fault by any means but we've talked before about how adopting victor was like sort of the first major challenge for them and also the first time they really disagreed about something like julia wasn't sure about keeping him at one point because she wasn't like bonding with him and joel was like this is our son what we, we you know and and from there so it did yeah. all snowball from there, though, because she quit her job because she couldn't be there for Victor, which is what sent Joel back to work, which is what made Julia feel inferior. So you guys are right. It was all Victor's fault. Oh, no. <laughs> and then they had the disagreement about whether or not to hold Victor back to fourth grade. Oh, no. I mean, Damn. Uh. I'm kidding. I love Victor. I'm I love so Victor too. There. Yeah. yeah. Me too. And it's 100% not his fault. No. <laughs> yeah. Lack of communication. Yes, for sure. Well, back to Sarah's phone call with Julia. I thought the attitude of, I don't want to get used to it, that Julia expressed felt really relatable. Mm-hmm. That we all have those moments where things have taken a turn in a way we don't want them to. And especially when it's new, it's just like every fiber of your being is just screaming out, no, 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 no. This is not the way it's supposed to be. And I think you're right, Lindsay, that like 
Sarah would have that perspective to offer, but it's not at a moment where Julia really wants to hear. I mean, what Julia wants to hear is there's a way out of this. Yeah. There's a way to reverse Joel this. Joel will come back. Yeah. It's and kind be of what okay. Sarah is saying is you'll get used to having Being been left. alone. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't want to get used to that. It's like, ugh. When I was Ilya. 14, somebody told me that I would get used to my breakup with. That was my first breakup ever. And I was like, um, I'm going to love him forever. And I was really upset. Um, I did get used to it. And I don't <laughs> I don't still love him. <laughs> um, but I remember that was the first time I ever vividly remember thinking, I don't want to get used to this. This is horrible. And yeah, so when you said relatable, I thought, I guess I can. Like, I still, like, that's very primal. And so, and is this maybe the first big disappointment of Julia's life? Or is that unfair to say? I mean... Everyone has disappointments, but everything has been going according to plan for so long until this, I feel like. Although, wait, no, not having the baby, that that was huge, so never mind. But at least she had Joel yeah. to comfort her through that. Yeah, you know, she wasn't going through that alone. Yeah. Jay, do you, so you said you didn't know what had led up to this. So Julia quit work. Joel goes back to work. Julia then gets more involved at school on the recycling committee emotional affair with another parent ends up kissing him lied about it it all got exposed joel's like i'm out okay that's where we're at okay that is where yeah yeah i was just really struck by it didn't they weren't putting fault on anybody in this episode it just felt like an all-around tragedy i think you're right well i also think that the show often wants us to sympathize with the Braverman, whoever the Braverman is. And something I find interesting, we've talked about this before, is I think it's often the Braverman's fault and not the person with the Braverman. And so that's an interesting thing where we're like meant to sort of sympathize, I think, with the person who messed up more than the person who didn't, because we're more in Julia's point of view than we are Joel's. And this has happened with pretty much every Braverman. And so I, I don't know. I, I think that's interesting. Like like Crosby, we were way more in his head. But he like literally slept with someone back in season two. Jasmine didn't, but we're barely hanging out with Jasmine, you know? Like, so I mean, I, it's an interesting storytelling thing where like, I, I think about this all the time when I teach and stuff. Like, do we truly feel sorry for the person who deserves it the most or the person we relate to the most? The person whose, you know, point of view we're in. Like, it's hard not to feel bad for Julia, like crying and like heating up that one sad lonely potato for dinner in the microwave she doesn't even one potato in the microwave she doesn't even put it in the in the oven you're worth an oven heated potato julia (laughs) you know but well i'm glad you brought this up because i also looked this up (laughs) you can microwave raw potatoes but be sure to poke them with a fork to release steam as they cook if you don't they can explode (laughs) Am I the only one who microwaves potatoes? <laughs> one potato at a time? Oh, no. But I do I do um, cover them in butter and poke holes in them. Good. Have them on a plate. See, that's... Not just tossed it. Yeah. It's just like, not even, not even on a plate. just one sad potato so sad. in the microwave is what got me. Yeah. That was sadder oh, than the cup. I guess I should microwave a potato. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not worth takeout. Like, I just thought... Oh. Do you want to get lunch later? I've got plans. <laughs> got my potato plans. My one potato. Oh. I also think <laughs> that that sort of no one being blamed thing 
felt kind of new in this episode. Not that I think they were ever depicting either one of them as a villain, but in this episode, I thought the temperature of the whole conflict was down a lot. It felt like they were showing a new facet of they are not together. They are trying to navigate that as like cordially and civilly as they can. So that felt like a new type of interaction between them, to me at least. Well, now that Joel's out of the house, he's probably already a lot less angry. You know, he's not constantly bumping into someone who he's mad at, you know? And so like in that respect, I guess it's working. Like he wanted to move out because he was mad and maybe now... He's able to focus on just being a parent and not his complicated feelings about his soon-to-be ex-wife. Yeah. I also find it strange. I mean, we know that Joel blames Julia pretty much entirely for their problems. And yet he is the one to move out. Now, I don't know if there's any way he could have been like, this is your fault. You get get out. (laughs) Um, You know, if he wants to not be with her, I I think it's right and proper that he should remove himself. But it also makes me think, trying to see everything from everyone's point of view, Joel would have to be scared, I think, of the newness of this new chapter. And will his kids feel like he's abandoning them? Because to them, it's going to look like he left. And... Is he going to be okay? Is he going to find a new rhythm and a fulfilling, happy life? And Well, I do feel like there was one look, you know, the first time Victor and Sydney went over to his new apartment and they're like, oh, we don't have our, our bathing suits. And he's like, oh, good thing I got them there on your beds. When they went to go change, like the look on his face was almost like, have I done the wrong thing? Was this the right move to leave? You know, because we're in this new place, you know, he talked about, oh, it's just like at home. Oh, at, you know, at the house, you know, correcting himself. And you see the pressure on him to make it fun at the new place. You feel like you have to compete with what's at home so that they still, you know, like, am I going to be enough or does it have to be? Do I have to be daddy fun times for them to want to be over here to break from their normal routine, to uproot their whole lives, to come spend time with me now, as opposed to just seeing me when they get home from school. Yeah. Yeah. Everyday kind of thing. Just stepping in on this episode, I wasn't sure where he was coming from. I don't, I didn't get the sense that this was much of a choice for him because then at one point the daughter's talking about how this is so not fair. And he's like, yeah, it's not fair. So I don't know, I I had the impression that he felt like this is where he had to be. I just felt bad for him that he's trying to make it work. He does sort of say it like it's impossible to do anything else. You know, like I tend to be more on his side than Julia's. But it is interesting that Julia was like, can we go to counseling? Or, you know, she was like, don't go. And he's like, I wish this isn't where we are, but it is. And so like for him, I think it's like become a fact. You know, it's that it does have to be that. I think maybe that's what you picked up on, which I think is so interesting because Julia would take him back in a second. And so yeah. it's it's interesting that he's acting like this is how it has to be. He really thinks he that. Doesn't, he doesn't want her. Yeah, I guess that's Well, that's yeah, why. you say Julia would take him back. She doesn't want him to leave in the first right. place. Right, yeah. He, he's putting his, you know, he's putting his foot down on what is considered acceptable behavior yeah. and treatment in a relationship. I think he probably feels like if he doesn't stand up for himself now, you know, if they could reconcile, it sets a bad precedent. 
Like, no, it is unacceptable. You cannot do that. You can't lie about it. Because that was the, I feel like I went back to watch the episode before this too, just because it's been so long. And that seemed like the big sticking point. Like I asked you about it and you said nothing and that wasn't true. You know, so it's just a, it's a truth factor and feeling like you're above owing your spouse the truth in that situation. I think yeah. that's what he's sticking up for. And trust. You can't just roll over. How do you yeah. trust someone? Then? I was about to say that it's kind of a cliche that like without trust, what do you have? But really like truly like that is number one, I think in a, in a relationship, if, I, th- I think it would be easier to forgive someone kissing someone if they told you about it than the lie about it. Like, just how would you know what was true? That horrible feeling that must be. Well, competing with the lone microwave potato is the song that Julia was listening to when Sarah came <laughs> over. But I have to give a shout out. That song is called Lonely House. It's from a musical <laughs> called Street Scene, which was the first musical to ever win a Tony for Best Score. It was by Kurt Vile and by Lawrence native Langston Hughes. Oh, I didn't know that. I love that song. It's a beautiful, beautiful song, but it is very gloomy and sad. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like very on the nose (laughs) that the song called Lonely House is playing while she's home alone. (laughs) Well, and real quick, before we get fully into that part, because that's what I really want to talk about with all of you, I do want to also say, maybe in a three-way tie with the potato and that song, is the sad hotel art that Joel has hanging up in his apartment. Did you notice that? It's like the most nondescript, like it's totally what you would find in a hotel room. And like nothing about it is like, oh, that's so Joel. He's really personalized this place. Like it's just like the beige (laughs) walls and just like geometric shape art. So anyway, I thought I thought (laughs) I would point that out. But okay, sorry if that was awkward. Let's get back to what you were saying. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he does have that divorced dad sad yeah apartment. that ed yeah. ironically was talking about i wonder if he yeah. bought himself a you know big old man, man chair that he's gonna sit in <laughs> well no. yes i think the highlight of the episode was all of the siblings coming over Ugh. to comfort julia even my dry cleaner asked me of why i had dry no shirts for my asked. husband Dry cleaner knows all. Oh my god, I'm gonna have to tell everybody that I'm separated. Oh, honey, you don't have to do anything you don't want to do. I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to tell anybody else. Why does they are in the business of dirty laundry? (laughs) 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 You guys, I can't even look at mom and dad. Why? Just because I'm the black sheep. I'm of our family. Who are you talking to? Okay, I'm like At a all. gray You're sheep. You're not even on I'm the like spectrum. A, no, okay. Think of all the stuff that the two of us have done to make mom and dad feel ashamed you, and you, embarrassed. You go sleep with your, your nephew's behavior lady, yeah. and then yeah. you talk to me about being a black sheep. That's valid. You haven't done anything of the I wouldn't do that. What about this dirtbag Seth she was linked up dirt to? Dirtbag left That drug the Braverman into the mud. for him. Wow, we're just... Who's the blackest sheep of the family game? You're not allowed to play. It's hard being Mr. Perfect Pants. How many bottles of wine away are we here, anyway? 
Oh. The, the auditors here have to, to try and play a little catch-up here. Oh, uh, we have it. Oh, boy. Are you hungry? We have food. A little so Malbec. Left. Don't Good. mind. Is this it? Is that it? Is that it? Right there? No, Guys, that's, there's probably more. I, I can't. I can't believe that you're all here. I can't believe that you all, that each of you thought to come over here. Oh, of course we did. did. But no, not of course. This yeah. is amazing. You can't be by yourself, yes. but we love okay. you. Of course we're here. Where else would we be? We're what supposed to be cheering you up, though, not yeah. cheering you down. You are cheering me up. <laughs> it feels like a tear down. No. Aww. Um, that made me, that scene made me think of something Jay says all the time, which is how special it is when all three of you are together at the same spot, you know? It's special, of course, when any number of you are together, but when all three of you are together, it's really something. Yeah, that's when it's an event. Yeah. Real deal. And I think in this moment for Julia, certainly, I mean, these siblings are very close. The the whole series is about that. But to just have people that you have that kind of comfort around, no judgment, unconditional love, like people on your side there to root for you and support you. Where else is she going to get that right now? I was just so glad that they were all there for her. That's so nice. I was a bit surprised at her surprise that they were all there because knowing how close they were, like, why wouldn't she assume that they would be there? I'm, I'm, and I'm glad they were. Oh, yeah. But I feel like if that was me, I would not be surprised that you both showed up. Aww. You know, like if we lived in the same place, we're like, well, of course, if I needed them, they would be here in an absolute instant. That's a good point. <laughs> Maybe when you're in such a bad situation, though, and mm. you're already feeling terrible, then you just, well, no, nobody would want to come see me. Adams and Mendocino. What is it? Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just watching it, I was like struck. It felt like forever since we'd gotten a scene with the four of them happy. Like, I shouldn't say happy. They're all crying and she's depressed. <laughs> but like, like really like bonding, I guess, supportive. And I feel like we used to get those all the time in earlier seasons. And I feel like we've hardly had any of that in a long time. Maybe Julia's like, it's been a while since this has happened. I was thinking of it storyline-wise. Like, why didn't the writers put them in a room together? But maybe she's thinking, why haven't we put ourselves in a room together? (laughs) Well, as a mom, it's remarkable when four parents, for various reasons, don't have their kids with them and can do something like that. Usually that's safe for after bedtime. The adults have to just stay up if they want to have fun. (laughs) (laughs) Or podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. A good point. Yeah, that is a good point. And it ties in. I'm just going to kind of blow my theme a little early, but it seemed like being there for each other was a big part of this episode. And um, it is rare that none of them would have their kids. I mean, Sarah's kids are grown, I guess, but all of their kids were at the grandparents' house together. And they were all there for each other in a different way than the siblings were. And that's something I thought was really beautiful, especially the way it tied in the Drew storyline. Yeah. That after he went through a very difficult thing, he went and turned to his sibling and his larger family because he knew that's where he could go. And I just thought this is the the most beautiful part of the Bravermans. Now I'm really just totally illuminating my final thoughts in the episode. But sometimes when people say when people who love parenthood, they're like, oh my God. I wish my family were like the Bravermans. I think, really? 
<laughs> they're, they're so self-absorbed and they have this like superiority complex and they're all alphas and they, they're impatient. <laughs> they have a lot of flaws, but I thought, you know, the one thing you can say for them, they are there for each other. And that is no small thing, especially if you come from a family that's not like that. If you saw that on TV, I think you'd have to envy it. And it's really something I love about them. Oh, that's nice. And just with the siblings, one note I did take, it struck me that siblings, for most people, are probably the longest relationships they'll ever have with anyone. Yeah. And close, healthy relationships with them, I think, are such a blessing. You know, you talking about how not all families have that just made me realize that it was actually that way in the episode where Drew Uh (laughs) is having to explain to his girlfriend that you've got to talk to your family you know yeah like I did because that makes it better and he has to like physically take her there to make her do this and that obviously wasn't her first thought god that's a good point yeah yeah and it was his first thought or one of them it's just what makes sense to him but he grew up with that yeah like the way that she was kind of horrified that he told his mom and I could see that because I think maybe most teenage boys wouldn't tell their mom if their girlfriend got an abortion, you know, like they'd be worried that the mom would be judgmental or unsupportive. And it is beautiful that he knew she would not be those things, that she would be great. And she was, you know, and 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 trustworthy, because like if I were Amy, it also be like, that's just private. Yeah, you just don't. I didn't give you permission to do that. Yeah. But I don't think Drew was blabbing. I think Drew knew. No. She won't tell anyone and I'm going to lose my mind if I don't get this off my chest. I remember when he told her he was like sobbing, you know, he he was like carrying it all inside of him. He had to tell somebody. But yeah, she and to contrast that with Amy not telling anyone, I guess, except for Drew, who she did kind of shut out, understandably. But that means she hasn't really been talking to anybody or processing what happened. I actually loved that. Like, I remember when Amy first showed back up this season, I was like, oh, but they wrapped that up so well. I take it back. I think this is great. It's, like, really nice to see the after effects of, like, trauma, you know, like, and and the idea that, like, it doesn't just go away because it's the end of a TV series uh, season, you know? It's like, oh, yeah, you carry it around with you and you have to process. Yeah. I was really surprised by just the range that the character of Amy covers in her appearances on this show. Like when we first meet her, it's very light, first love, kind of like puppy love. It doesn't feel very deep because they're both like teenagers. And then it progresses from that to like sort of coming of age when they have sex together for the first time. So that deepens a little bit, but it's not heavy. And then it gets into this extremely intense, traumatic high school romance pregnancy breakup. And then now to this dysfunctional place. I mean, like when Natalie is talking to Drew about every time you talk to me, you're worried that she's going to pop out. And then then she does. And then there's Amy (laughs) peeking out the door. I'm like, this could almost be comedic. And you could almost be like, oh, what have they done to this character? Now she's this like pathetic girl just following him around. And yet it didn't feel like that. I mean, it did feel slightly pathetic to me still. But I felt sorry for her because I cared about the character. And then like in Drew's scene with Amber. I'm confused. She's 
living in, in yes, your dorm room with you? Yes, she's living in my dorm with me. What does she do all day? I mean... I have no idea. Wait. I, it's been a while, too. Her parents don't even know. I mean, that's weird. <sighs> what she's saying is that I just make her happy, and she just wants to be around me and all this stuff. What do you want? Her to leave and go back to school, you know? I love her. I, I do, but... It's crazy, it's... You can really love somebody, but also want them to go. For him to say, I want her to leave. Yeah. Who would have guessed? Like, who would have guessed, guessed that? Yeah. And yet they set it up in a way where it's like, of course that's what he wants. And it doesn't sound like he's annoyed with her. It, it's concern. It's rooted in concern yeah. and love. And I'm just like, they've really taken that character on a huge journey that I was not remembering. No. I think I kind of slept on Amy the first time around. <laughs> I still wouldn't say that I like love the character. I don't find her extremely dynamic. But she's more substantive than I remember. Way more. I really love how they write teenagers on this show. Like, just very believable, I think. And, like, they don't often go to a stereotypical place. Like, even with um, Natalie, I thought it was really cool that I'm pretty sure Natalie does have feelings for Drew. I think on a lesser show, she would just be conniving or, like, trying to split them up. Like, I, I think while she would like to be with Drew, probably, I think she's truly concerned. <laughs> I think that was, like selfless like this isn't healthy what's happening here like she's pointing it out yeah, to I him. was on her side in this I was episode. too I was like <laughs> and I just really love that it wasn't like I think a different show you know she would just have like a different attitude or angle or something here's my wedge to get the yeah. other woman gone yeah. it wasn't just a love triangle like it was more complicated and interesting than that I thought yeah well we've said it before but I think Drew really might be the most emotionally mature character on the show. <laughs> yeah. You know, I only say any of this because I love you very much, but you can't stay here like this. Is this a Natalie thing? No, or... no, it's not that at all. Okay. Um, I mean, I, th I thought you liked having me visit no, Amy, of course. I, I love having you visit, you know? I feel like you're you're kind of hiding from something. Hiding? Yes, even last year. Everything that happened, you know? Did you ever talk to anyone about that? Because all we had was each other. And you ran off. We never even talked about it. You know? And I, I ended up talking to my mom you told your mom yes I told my mom I'm sorry okay but it was so helpful it just feels so good to talk to someone who's not involved in it the same way you know I think that you should talk to your parents not even just about that but about school everything you know you need to you need to tell them that I was struck by his honesty with her. Like first when she says, is this a Natalie thing? And he says, no, it's not at all. It isn't. I, I thought that's actually true. It's, this is not yeah. because of Natalie. 
And then when she says, I thought you liked having me visit, he says, I love it. And I think that's true. But the point is, she's, she's not been visiting. there for two weeks. <laughs> she's moved in visit anymore. Yeah. yeah. Something's going on here. And I'm concerned for you. And even that he starts saying all this is because I love you. I think that's true. And when she says, you told your mom, he says, yes, even though clearly that's not what she wants to hear in that moment. I just thought it's very emotionally mature. He's really respectful enough of her to confront her with some hard things, but it's very gentle, very supportive. I think she would have to be in deep denial to not see that. And to her credit, she does see it. I think she realizes he means what he says and it is out of concern. Well, and with good advice to, you know, talking to somebody who's not involved with it, you know, because he brings up that she didn't even talk to him about it, which means she's just carrying this around by herself and being able to share the experience of, you know, I talked to somebody and it made a huge difference. Look at me out here living my life, not centered around this hiding this trauma from anybody, you know, and I've been able to deal with it and move on and have other things go on that don't center around this. Yeah. Well put. And then to take her yeah. to the house. And In Amber's car, did you notice that? I, I did. loved that. I'm like, oh, yeah. Siblings there for each other. That's what this yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was really great. And I was really hit by Amy's last by Drew. And she says, bye, Drew. I, it really hit me as I'm never going to see you again. Whoa. But in a peaceful, like content way, like, okay, now I actually can let you go because I was holding on to you as mm. like a life preserver or something. Wow. And now I'm going to go stand on my own. I just mixed metaphors, but <laughs> in the water, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, like, Jesus. like I don't need you anymore. Yes. Now I, can I was going to say, close the book on this chapter. Yeah. <laughs> and in a, in a happy way, like mm-hmm. I can finally move on from this. Yeah. Saying goodbye to you is saying goodbye to that part of my life. Yeah. And that's funny. Now that you say that, I know, Melissa, you especially have said you loved how they ended things the first time. Yeah. And I loved how they ended things here. Yeah. What I really love is that they kind of were revealing that last time wasn't actually totally true. I mean, she was kind of pretending to have closed that chapter then, but she hadn't actually. And she didn't even know that she hadn't. Yeah. And now she really has. And so it's like rewriting history, but the characters know that they're doing it. Like, oh, I have to go back and and tend to this thing I thought was finished, but it actually wasn't finished. But now it will be finished. And I think that happens to us all the time. No, completely. Well, and this is all making me think that maybe another like theme of this episode is like healthy relationships versus unhealthy ones, you know, and and how sometimes that line is tenuous, you know, like I would say Julia and Joel used to have a pretty healthy relationship. I mean, communication problems aside, and then it turns, you know, and like these siblings are very lucky to have really healthy relationships. That's not a given, you know, but they do. And, you know, Drew and Amy at one point were healthy and then it became codependent and Amber could relate to that, even though her storyline wasn't really in this episode, but, you know, they sort of talk about that, like, because what she had with Ryan was not very healthy. Like, I don't know. I think, I think that's interesting that we think of love 
sometimes is just like this powerful, beautiful thing. Sometimes it is like a false sense of security or something. Sometimes it isn't the answer. Actually, maybe the answer is being by ourselves or I, I don't know. It's it's interesting. I'm realizing now that I left off little things from the sibling storyline. I thought we would maybe just be weaving in and out because we kind of weaved over to the to Adam and Christina yeah. and then we we wove over to the grandparents having the kid, you know, the grandkids. So like I feel well, like Well, let me weave back. Yeah, for let's a weave Seth. back. Yeah. <laughs> Sarah left school for Seth. That's new information, is it not? I think so. College, right? She graduated. Co- I mean, I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm assuming yeah. she meant she that she was in college and then left. Wow. And I think we knew from when Amber was getting ready to go to college. Sarah saying, no, I didn't go to college. I wasn't lucky enough to have the opportunities you had. But I don't think she ever mentioned that she went. She just didn't stay. And that it was because of... Was it college, though, or was it not high school? Because just backtracking it, she would have gotten pregnant at, like, early college, which means she potentially could have dropped out of high school for Seth on the road, you know, like missed graduation type deal. Which would have set her up to not go to college and be in the boat professionally that she's in now without a whole lot of direction. Well, speaking of Sarah's professional life, she's still finishing this project with Hank, which I don't think she ever should have brought him onto in the first place, but I have said my piece on that. (laughs) There was a moment in this scene, though, that I wanted to bring up with all of you. Hey, did you mess with these? The surf sport? Yeah, yeah. Hank, you took the truck out of every single. You just took all the trucks out? Yes, I made. I made it better. These are my. This is my work. I can't believe you're so mad that I put on lipstick to go on a casual dinner with Carl. That you messed with all my photos. Uh, Oh, that's what you do. Ty, T, T. Okay, leave, leave, feed the world out of this. I don't care about that. We have to bring this to a client. It's got to look professional. The client hired me. I am the professional. I hired you to help me, not sabotage me. Uh, sab- sa- These aren't better. These are not better. It doesn't look better. I don't know. Okay, that, that. Okay, I mean, yeah. 75% of them are probably better without it, but 80%, you know, but I, not all of them. 80%, okay, thank but you. But Hank, we were doing this together. You can't just do stuff on your own. We, we did no, work on it. No, we had to work on it together like normal people communicating you have an idea and i have an idea and then we make a decision together that's what working together i have to go i'm gonna get a coffee where you going i'm gonna get a coffee i need to just relax from i don't understand if it looks better it looks better it's not the point it is the point the moment i found most fascinating in this argument was hank's reaction to sarah saying they needed to work together like normal people It reminded me of Melissa criticizing Hank while pretending not to know that he might be on the spectrum. Mm -hmm. And at first when I was watching this episode, I'm like, oh, Hank knows he might have a medical reason why he doesn't work on things the same way that Sarah might. But she doesn't know. But then when I watched it again, I thought, no, she knows because he talked to her about it. I mean, she doesn't know that he's gone and seen the doctor and everything. Yeah. She knows it's on his mind, but I thought, She's just not thinking of it, of course. Yeah. She's just mad. In the same way, you know, it's in the forefront of his mind. Yeah. And so he now when he hears the word normal, it probably trips him and she doesn't even think of it. But I thought he looked stung in a way that he wouldn't have before. And I, I felt bad for him, even though he was 
totally wrong. Yeah, I thought he looked triggered by the word normal. I mean, I think that's why he has the emergency meeting. Yeah. Which I appreciate the humor of that, by the way. I didn't know if she was aware of his situation, but I just took her use of the word normal almost as a, a defense of herself being mad. Like, it's okay for me to be mad because I shouldn't be having to deal with this because no normal person would ever have done this to me. Like, yeah, my feelings are the normal ones here. Small side note, it reminds me, I'm rewatching This Is Us right now, and early on, Milo and Amelia's character, Jack, tells his wife that he's an alcoholic, and she really downplays it. She's like, you're not an alcoholic. You, 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 last time we struggled with you drinking too much, you just quit cold turkey. No alcoholic could do that. And he like had really hidden from her how like hard that had been, and like... He is, he is, but like it was her instinct for some reason to like downplay it. And I wonder if sometimes people like have an idea of who a person is and it doesn't like mesh, like this new information, just like, you know, or like we think we know people better than they know themselves or something. Like, I wonder if Sarah's like, you don't have Asperger's, you're rude. Like, you know, you're just, you're just, <laughs> you're inconsiderate. Like, do you know what I, like if, if I it, feel like Zeke was that way with Max. Yeah. Like, oh, come on. The kid can play basketball. He's fine. He's fine. Yeah. And I wonder if that's like maybe sometimes part of what's difficult about something, you know, quote unquote, invisible, or you know, what what have you like, where there's maybe some debate as to who's an alcoholic and who's on the spectrum and, and what constitutes it. And so like, not only are you dealing with something tough, you might be dealing with people not necessarily believing you or, or thinking you're exaggerating or yeah. I, I wonder if like, or, or it could be it slipped her mind, but it could be that she just didn't really take it that seriously because she's like, well, you're stretching, you're looking for things to explain your behaviors and really you're just difficult. And I wonder if this is the episode where she's like, oh, maybe he really does. Well, and like you guys said a few episodes ago, you know, they were talking about now I can't think of his name, the, the guy that was at Max's birthday party. who was Amazing like, Andy. Amazing Andy. You know, you don't think about kids growing up and then being adults with Asperger's or with ADHD or any of these other invisible things that kids have. So for, for Sarah to be like, well, you would have known. Mm-hmm. Well, when Hank was a kid, nobody was diagnosing Asperger's. No. So for her to you know, accepted diagnosis for an adult is another thing. Yeah. And Melissa, what you were saying also just makes me think some of those invisible things that are so tied to behavior too, and that like culturally, I think we tie them to people's character as well. It reminds me of when, I forget when this was, Amber and Sarah were having an argument about Seth. Mm, Yes. Sarah was saying, well, he has a disease. And Amber's like, well, there's a disease. And then there's just making bad choices. And she was kind of saying like, no, the disease lets him off the hook and I don't want to. And so I'm going to nail him for being a druggie and alcoholic. But then also she'll turn around and warn Hattie about dating an alcoholic because her dad's an alcoholic. Yeah. So it's like, well, Amber knows it's not complete bunk. Yeah. It's just in the right context, she doesn't want to hear that. And then in a different context, she wants to protect other people that she loves from this disease. Yeah. I don't know exactly how that would be playing in with Sarah and Hank here, but I, well, there are so many factors at play. I think I know. I wonder if she doesn't want to feel sympathy for him. Like she just wants to be mad at him. He like, <laughs> I mean, he was in the wrong there. And oh, like, yeah. maybe that complicates things. You know, the, like 
I feel that way sometimes watching Max, like if he screams at his like infant sister to shut up, I want to call that abhorrent. And then I remember, oh, he's on the spectrum. Like that complicates my reaction to his behavior. And I wonder if Sarah doesn't want to have complicated feelings for Hank. They've broken up. They're done. Uh, In part because Hank was not very kind. And like, what if there's a new context for that? What do you do with that? Then she feels bad. Then she wonders if they should have stayed together. Maybe she doesn't. Maybe that has nothing to do with it. But I don't know. I wonder if (laughs) maybe that's it. I also wonder if she's maybe just not very good with people who don't communicate like her. Mm. Because I thought his apology to her was really sweet. Yes, awkward. (laughs) But I was a little hurt for Hank by how confused she was by it. I wanted to talk about the photos, the little dust-up we had back yeah. in the studio. Yeah. So I just wanted to say that uh, that I'm sorry that I made you angry. Okay. And uh, I, uh, I didn't understand that I shouldn't edit the photos without talking to you. And I... Um, I thought you would understand exactly what I was thinking. What's happening? I'm looking at you and I'm talking to you. It's just like you're reciting something you memorized. Well, just talk to me. I'm just talking to you. I know, just talk to me in your normal voice. It is my normal voice. Oh, forget it. What? what? The book, remember the book, the Asperger's book? I'm, I'm seeing this guy about that stuff. But how it's affecting my life. And uh, I'm not a people person. I, I, I'm not like Carl. I never will be. I don't know. It sounded like a good idea at the office. Just, I haven't been that good with you. And uh, trying to do better. I thought this was Hank's like most lovable moment so far. Yeah, I felt bad for him too because Sarah really got on to him. And, you know, nothing that he shares with her about things I'm talking to the doctor about, how I'm not a people person and it's hard for me to communicate. Asperger's are not, these are not revelations to Sarah. Right. You know, <laughs> she knows him. Yeah. She knows he's a poor communicator. She knows he doesn't have very good social skills. So for her to be like, mm, it sounds like you were citing it. Well, he at least went through a checklist of ways he may have hurt her and didn't want to forget any. I thought it was a little bit, not arrogant, but, you know, it always bothers me when people are like, mm, you owe me an apology in this way. Right, I'm exactly. Like, well, do you want it to be sincere or not? I mean, even if it sounds rehearsed, that doesn't mean it's not sincere necessarily. Yeah. So I, I, I didn't feel bad for Hank. I, I took it as just a vehicle for the storyline because I didn't think it sounded particularly rehearsed. I thought we were just supposed to explain like, oh, he's just reciting it now. But by the end of this scene, he's going to be really off the cuff and sincere. Uh, and we're going to be really happy about that. No, I think that's so interesting. Like what makes sense if they're like human beings And like what makes sense to drive a plot forward in a TV show? Like it's what I was talking about before, you know, like, like would Sarah really have criticized his apology? Like now I I didn't question it in the moment, but now I'm like, 
that doesn't really feel like her. It feels like she would be like happy that he was apologizing and like she wouldn't interrupt him to criticize it. But maybe it's just what the story is. Oh, and needed. see, and I feel like it does feel really? like her. <laughs> I think, I feel like Sarah, maybe with the exception of Crosby, I feel like she has the best social skills of any of the siblings. She could talk to a complete stranger and be charming with them. That's true. And I feel like maybe she doesn't always have patience mm. for people who can't keep up. And so, yeah, like, so he's giving this apology and like Lindsay says, like, well, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. I want your apology to sound like this. It's like, But that's not how Hank apologizes. Hank's sincere apology has to be rehearsed. Yeah. Otherwise, it's not going to come out sincere with everything he wants to say. And that this is so hard for him. And I, I do think that there was some nonverbal acknowledgement from her after he says, I've been going to the doctor. You could see like, oh, I wasn't thinking of this. Yeah as much so I, I'm not like angry at her but I was just like come on Sarah be, use your knowledge of this guy a little bit more and realize this is a big step for him yeah or that he would offer the apology without being prompted also. yeah come on like that should have been a like hey I didn't have to tell him he needed to apologize to me you know after coming into work again the next day and he still hasn't said anything about it I will say Maybe in Sarah's defense a little bit, and this is just hitting me now because I'd never thought about this before. I was totally agreeing with what all of you said, but it is interesting. I mean, he is basically saying what Dr. Pelican told him to say. And when she does say, talk, just talk to me, then he does kind of like Jay said, like a vehicle for, you know, and what he says, I found more touching than anything he's ever said on the show so far, which was, I haven't been that good to you. And I'm trying to be better, like something like that. And you know me, I can accept characters and people making mistakes. But what I can't accept is like a refusal to acknowledge that and and to grow and to reflect. And so for him to do that, I was really taken aback by how much I liked him in that moment, especially since I was so mad at him for deleting the the <laughs> truck out of those photos. I was like, you son, what's wrong? I was so mad. But this... I, I really did. I, and Dr. Pelican didn't tell him to say that, you know, and, and so, I mean, while I agree she shouldn't criticize his his apology, there was something really original in there and it did come out. It would have been nice if she didn't have to insult him to make it come out. And that does feel like <laughs> a machination of the show like of tv like, yeah that it's like oh look sarah's the hank whisperer <laughs> like she doesn't need any of this fancy schmancy neurological scientific <laughs> expertise she just connects to him on a human level like oh great has anyone had her wield this superpower with her nephew <laughs> they still haven't gotten him a new behavioral aid that's true anyway. yeah <laughs> And Crosby probably wouldn't sleep with his sister. So that was a weird joke. Sorry. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, that's a sibling closeness. <laughs> Too we, far. Well, Sarah wasn't only dealing with Hank in this episode. She still got Carl around. And first question, specifically for Melissa. Okay. What's your verdict on Sarah's hat? And would your <laughs> mark approve? <laughs> I thought she pulled it off, honestly. And I don't know if Mark would approve. I think he might think those hats are like universally dumb, but I sort of have a hat like that that I bought at the Botanical Gardens yeah. with you. And I, n I never have the courage to wear I think it. You look great in it. Thanks. Thank you. I, every once in a while, I'm like, 
you can be a hat person, Melissa. Put it on. Um, and I feel like that's what she was doing. She was like trying it on, you know, like, or maybe. Melissa, you have a very nice shaped head for hats. Thanks. Us foyers, they're all, they're huge heads. <laughs> so the hats have to be even bigger. And it just, I feel like is, we don't, we can't pull it off. Oh. But you have a very lovely shape head that's for so hats. nice thank you I've always liked the size of your heads I mean that's a lie I've never, <laughs> oh, well, no- I've never noticed <laughs> but now that I'm noticing I feel like you guys have good faces I love your face I have always thought you have very good faces um well I wonder if the hat was like I've never I didn't think anything of the hat by the way until you brought this up Caleb but now I'm wondering if the hat is like her attempt to keep it casual. She keeps saying, you know, this is a casual date. And she's like, this is a jaunty little hat. Like, I can't be in a serious relationship with Carl in this hat. You know, would would you wear this on a date? Nope, just to hang out. Um, okay, here's my major beef, though, because okay. I think that's a good insight. Okay. Why is she fighting so hard to keep it casual? What is her hang up? You know what? I love that photograph you took of the taco truck beach. And, uh, I don't know, just thought it'd be fun to tie that in somehow. Oh my god, that's so nice. Yeah. It's great. You should take a date here sometime. Oh. <laughs> should take a date, should I? <laughs> what would I call this? Just hanging out. Yeah, man, just, you know, yeah. being casual. I'd have a beer and taco. <laughs> I like that. I like you. I don't know, I don't meet that many people like you who are as thoughtful and kind as you are. Even in my line of work, you wouldn't think that would be the case, but it is. I like that you, I don't know, I'm thinking about your family here, thinking about your sister, and you have no idea how beautiful you are or <laughs> how funny. Oh my God, I sound like I'm maybe falling for you. I guess that's why we're here. Beer, anybody? Great. <laughs> I thought she was like deluding herself in this scene. What were they doing if they were not on a date? Yeah. Were they going just as friends? They've slept together at this point. Yeah. And maybe they haven't done it. <laughs> Jay looks again. shocked at that. She's like, she's talking about casual tacos. Like, yeah. Just like, <laughs> yeah. So was Carl. Um, <laughs> but I'm just like, what is her hesitation? And, and I no. I kind of liked in the scene that Carl sort of put all his chips on the table. Like, she's like, I'm keeping it casual. And he's like, I like you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, good. Yes. That's, you shouldn't have to pussyfoot around. What grownups should do. Yeah. yeah. And I thought the hat was kind of a sign of her trying oh. to act younger than she is. Yeah. And this feels really judgmental. And I feel kind of bad. But it's ever since, like, I think it was Mark your mark not mark sear being like impatient with some of her flirtatiousness and just kind of acting young beneath her age yeah like you're in your mid 40s can you just grow up take the hat off and stop (laughs) flirting and stop being like oh no i don't want to date you put your big girl pants on and (laughs) either be with him or don't but you're kind of leading him on and i don't even understand why is it because she's in love with Hank still? Is that what we're supposed That's to That's what I was forced to believe, not having any background. <laughs> yeah. I thought the point of that scene was to show how very lovely Carl was, very honest with her, charming, you know, all of, you know, check all the boxes. She's still not biting. I thought we were meant to assume that there's something else going on. 
you're probably it didn't even occur to me until like that second when I said it. Yeah. But that must be what it was. Of course, I also didn't know their background. Because <laughs> I think he did come off very good there. And they keep yes. making this contrast of like, Carl loves the taco truck and the pictures <laughs> and Hank's removing them against her will. Yeah, I mean, I thought that was so incredibly supportive, but believable. I thought it was such a nice touch, like way better than some shows or movies would go like way over the top or like even this show when she was dating Billy Baldwin and he showed up in a limo with flowers like for him to be like you know what I thought was so cool that taco truck in your photos so I'm gonna find a cool taco place for us to eat at like that is really kind and I could I could totally believe it very thoughtful very thoughtful I also googled the shit on that taco place and I couldn't find a place (laughs) that I was sure was the actual location man well, okay, earlier you were like, not to be judgy, here I go. Okay. So, Do it, Judy. Oh, boy. You know how earlier we've said about, like, Amber and Ryan that, of course, Ryan deserves love, but does it have to be Amber to give him that love? You know, he has kind of hurt her or, like, you know, he doesn't she deserve maybe something kind of stable or supportive? And it feels really kind of icky for me to compare that to, to Hank because Hank's not an addict. Hank is, you know, on the spectrum. But I just, I thought, okay, love is one thing. If she really, truly loves Hank, okay. But I'm like, this is like the second person, Mark Sear and now Carl, who's like really supportive and stable and kind and good to her. And she like keeps choosing the one who Let like- Let me go with this mess over here. Oh yeah, or like the one who like undermines her, takes out her, you know, I get that he apologized for it. I do get that. But even like at the very beginning of the episode when he's like, some of these are all right. And she's like, some of these are all right, a rave. I get that that's supposed to be funny, but I'm also like, yeah, that's, that's as complimentary as it's going to get with him. Like, I, I don't know. Am I supposed to yeah. like be so happy that she's choosing time and again, the person who- doesn't treat her very well as opposed to people who do and the fact that he's on the spectrum complicates that maybe i'm just supposed to go with it and be like no totally fine he does deserve love absolutely and i'm glad he's working on himself but man i'm like is her insecurity is her self-esteem so low that she just keeps yeah do you know what i mean and i feel like a jerk saying it but those were my deep carl thoughts i i didn't know what to do well and why she's potentially not interested in carl now like I, and I don't remember the timing of them sleeping together, but, you know, she originally thought he was a jerk. Yeah. And a womanizer yeah. and, you know, direction of his life was going nowhere. And then she finds out at the dinner that he's actually an upstanding person professionally. You know, he saves babies. <laughs> like, oh, well, maybe I'm not all that interested. You're a good person and <sighs> you do have your life together. You're not as messy as I thought. So we're just going to keep it casual. And unless you can tell me about some major weird (laughs) fetish complexes that you addictions that you have, this is not going to go anywhere. I've learned that's not what love is. Love is. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That worries me. So that is messed up. But I think it feels really consistent with Sarah's character and with like People in general, I think there's lots of people who, you know, accept the love they think they deserve. And it's maybe not very good. Yeah. And like Mark totally called her on it. Yeah. When the, when they broke up, he's like, you know, you do this thing where if something good in your life, you push it away. Yeah. That's true. Don't push Carl away. He's your last chance. <laughs> it's, almost like, it's almost 
comical how like handsome he is and what his job is it's ridiculous the saving of babies and he's like listening he's attentive and she's like yeah no i want the guy who took all the trucks out of my pictures <laughs> and talks Against down to my me. will yeah yeah kissed me without consent while i was his underling and, <laughs> and when i was engaged and to someone engaged. else yeah yeah I mean, I get it. I and I again, I love Ray Romano. He's fantastic. This is performance is amazing, and I do feel for him. I do, and I loved the growth here. But I'm still like, that means she's supposed to be with him. That means, you know, can't she just be his supportive friend? Like, you know what I mean? Can't the show show that that kind of love is also important? And they didn't work out romantically, but she still supports him and is like supporting his growth. And she ends up with Carl or Mark or yeah. someone who treats her better. Well, maybe she'll pick Carl. Maybe. Mm. <laughs> now, now we That's need the studio. Half-hearted. <laughs> now we need the studio audience to be like, whoa, whoa. But you- <laughs> uh. I've kind of lost sympathy for those bad decisions with Sarah. You know, she's done it so many times. I'm like, well. That's just the way you're going to do it, isn't it? Yeah. So, but good luck with Hank, yeah. because you clearly cannot make a good choice for yourself in this. I hope you're happy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like I'm in the midst of season two of F-Boy Island right now, and it's no max. <laughs> <laughs> and um, one of the contestants, spoiler alert, she's ended up with all of her romantic options are F-Boys. None of them are nice guys. I didn't feel too bad for her. Yeah, I'm, I'm like, like you what? sent the most nice guys home. You yeah, know they're like, nice guys. These are the guys you picked. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, okay, you made your bed. And then she bed, has like you... an anxiety attack about it. Like, no no <laughs> one else was surprised. Yeah. Boy. It's like, maybe you need to be a little more discerning. Or maybe you need to examine what is it you actually want. I mean, you say you want a nice guy, but then the nice guys that are on offer, you're like, eh, no. They're not <laughs> as fun as these ones. Which girl was that? Mia. Okay. Are all of you watching F-Boy Island? <laughs> no, I saw that first episode at Lindsay's house. Oh. It was my birthday weekend. I'm like, hey, let's watch this. <laughs> Siblings are always there for each other. And this is what I want. <laughs> yes. I love that. Well, we had some growth and I think some self-examination in another character too. I, I have to say another part of this theme I thought was... um. In lots of episodes of this show, we have characters not being their best selves. But I thought in this one, everybody was operating at a pretty high level. I did too. Or or trying to. And um, Zeke surprised me. Crosby finds out that his house is on the market. He's upset about it and throws a little hissy fit like a child. <laughs> yes, that's accurate. And... It's so funny. I did not remember this scene and I didn't remember where it was going. So for the first half of it, I felt like I was watching a scene between an addict trying to like recover and a dealer (laughs) trying to hook him back in. I'm like, Zeke is trying to break his addiction of getting his way all the time. Mm. And there Crosby is tempting him to take another hit. Hey, you know what? Maybe I should look in the house for the new set. Huh? The house, my childhood home, that's on the market. This, it's just right here. I better look now before yeah, yeah, yeah. you're slashing prices. Okay, what, what are you talking about? Why aren't you saying anything? Well, there's nothing much to say, Crosby. There's a ton to say. 
Am I not talking to Zeke Braverman? Of all people, you should be raising a red flag. I mean, you wouldn't move out of here in a million years. What's going on? Hey, why don't you just let me worry about what I would or wouldn't do, all right? You don't seem to be worrying about it. Dad. OK. Hey. Got him. Yeah. Oh, great. Dad. Huh? Listen, hey, hey. What? Please. Your mother and I have been together 47 years. And we've been through a lot. We've been through a lot of milestones. And she goes away to Europe, and all of a sudden, I'm left here at the house. I'm all alone. I don't know what the hell I'm going to do. And I miss her. I miss her like crazy. I realize that I love her a lot more than I love this house. And if selling this house makes her happy, then that's what I'm going to do. So that's about it, son. That's, that's the ball game right there. You know, Zeke could have said, I don't want to do it, but I'm being forced to do it. Yeah. And, but instead, he told the truth, which I think is close to that, but more nuanced. And I was really surprised by him and proud of him. Me too. Definitely. I was, yeah, I was surprised that he would admit that Camille was more important to him than getting his own way. So I do, I do think that was growth for him. Yeah. And then Crosby continuing not to grow. Yeah, his like <laughs> descent. He's such a baby. This season, like, I don't know. This is maybe weird, but I this scene made me think of a season one finale scene between Zeke and Crosby. You got a lot of nerve giving me advice about Jasmine after what you did to mom. What? What? You screwed up. Dad, you screwed up with mom. And she did nothing. Uh, Cosby, it's pretty complicated. Is it? Is it super complicated? I think I can figure it out. She stood by you for 40 years. You can't just sit here and drink beer and listen to the radio and think she's going to come over here and beg you to come home? Is that what you think? You are going to lose her. Do you get that? You need to take your own advice and fight for her. You be a man, Dad. I was just so struck. And like, I actually went back and watched that scene from season one. And I, I this is very dramatic, um, but I seriously felt like crying a little when I saw season one Crosby and remembered how much I loved him. Like, it might sound ridiculous, but I was like, that was such a beautiful moment, him standing up to his dad and telling him, like, it's not being a man pushing your wife around. And it, it's, it's not being a man, like having to get your way all the time. And then I'm like, God, five years later, what's happened? He's like, be a man, stand up to mom and tell her you're not moving. Like, he, I don't know. It was so weird. Oh. I hated that. But then I, I did love the growth in Zeke because Zeke wouldn't do it five years ago. But I'm like, God, <laughs> why can't Crosby be like, oh, great. Five years ago, I wanted you to do this, and now you've done it. Isn't it great that we're both so respectful to our wives who we love so much? Instead, this season, he's been, like, lying about little things and and just, be like, being a sitcom character, essentially, and being kind of a fool. And I just, ugh. Anyway, sorry. That that bothers me, but, but I loved the Zeke part. Did everyone know on the show that the mom has been wanting to get out of that house? Is that an understood? No, no one knew. Just Zeke was the only one she had talked about it with. And Julia. I mean, it makes it weirder when he says, you're Zeke Braverman. Like, that implies that it's him versus 
mom, but yeah, yeah I just, it, I took it all as nobody was telling the kids that this was happening. Mm-hmm. Not that they had to clear it with them, but I think I might've said something before putting it on the market, but maybe I'm misconstruing. I, I didn't know what people knew. For what it's worth, I feel like Crosby was reading the situation kind of accurately mm-hmm. at the dinner table in that Camille was really happy about getting rid of the house and Zeke wasn't. And I think maybe Crosby was just making an assumption of, oh, you're letting mom walk all over you. Like she always does. That's sarcasm. (laughs) Um. (laughs) When in fact it was like, yeah, I don't want to sell the house, but I have arrived at a decision where that's what I'm going to do with her. Like we made the decision together. I'm not excited about it, but I've agreed to it. And yeah, I don't really want to justify it to anyone. Jay, I think you do bring up such a good point, though. Like, I'm able to, like, very objectively be like, I think Camille is right, and she never gets what she wants, and so I'm very glad that they're doing this. And, of course, they had to put it on the market before someone like Crosby could try to stop them because he only thinks of himself sometimes. But as, like, a child, like, I would be really upset, I think, if my family childhood home was put on the market and no one, like, had a conversation with me about that first. That's a good point. I hadn't really thought of it Would any of the kids want to buy it? I don't know. It just seemed odd. I feel like Crosby should buy it. Why don't they do that? (laughs) Anyway. He doesn't have any money. He already bought three. If he'd taken that $3 million deal (laughs) on the the napkin for the luncheonette. He only Mm. buys houses that Jasmine doesn't know about. Yeah. So this would be too. Or houses that float. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. No, but that's true. I mean, would you guys have been upset if, like, I mean, bringing it all the way back at the very beginning, Caleb mentioned that it kind of reminded him of, like, your parents separating. And one side effect of that happening was eventually the house got sold, right? Like, wasn't that pretty soon after? Mm-hmm. But you probably were part of that, right? Like, you at least were consulted that this was happening. Yeah. And you had a chance to sort of say goodbye to the house and everything. It was a little harder on me, I feel like, because I was so far away. It was a little bittersweet for me just because, like, I didn't know for certain the last time that I was there was the last time. Mm. I mean, we suspected, yeah, but I didn't know for sure. And I wasn't doing any of the work of selling it. Like, I remember Jay and Lindsay, you guys were, like, packing it up and garage sales and helping sell it. I'm like, well, that would take a lot of the nostalgia away, I think, <laughs> when it was, like, busy work. I, just from afar, was like, oh, goodbye, house. I'll never see you again. I didn't have to lift a finger to get it ready to be sold. Yeah. Well, we were talking off mic how we feel like the sibling gathering was really the nexus of all these storylines. I think that was totally true. And the end of that storyline was Victor reaching out to Julia. Joel? Mom? Hey, sweetie. What's up? I had a bad dream. The elevator in the building makes this weird noise. Well, um, why don't you go wake up your dad? I don't want to wake up dad. Can you just talk to me? Yeah. I can talk to you, sweetie, but I think that dad would want to know. I just want you, mom. Well, okay, I, I'm here. I can talk to you. I will talk to you until you go back to sleep. Okay. So... Weird elevator noises, huh? 
Yeah. Of course, my mom and dad's grandma and grandpa's doesn't have an elevator, but they have those creaky old stairs. They used to wake me up in the middle of the night with scary noises. Really? But you know who was really scared? Your Uncle Crosby. He would run into my room in the middle of the night, convinced that something was coming up the stairs to get him. So, one night, we set up a booby trap. After everybody else had gone to sleep, we strung dental floss across the top of the stairs. Nothing was going to get past us. You know, we did catch something. You know what we caught? Your grandpa. He broke his nose and crowned us for three weeks. And sweetie, you know, it got less scary. And all of this will too. Victor? Boy, they've come a long way since he was calling the cops on her. (laughs) (laughs) I like all these little nuggets like that were just dropping and Jay's like, huh, how does that fit in? That's interesting. (laughs) 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 All right. (laughs) I did think it was interesting, like what a 180 that was from when Victor first came around and he, you know, he immediately had a better bond with Joel than with Julia. And then here they are separated and he's with Joel, but he needs Julia. Do you have a theory as to why that is? I think, you know, for the first time in Victor's life, he probably had the most stable family. And it was a, you know, to him was a whole family for once, a mom and dad and a sister. And for that to be falling apart, for him to be kind of clinging to the last piece of the puzzle that's not there, you know, just to kind of symbolize that Victor finally felt home in that family. And then... You know, just to be clinging to that the same way Julia was. Like when she wanted to talk to Joel with all of them together, like, oh, hey, let's chat. You know, everything's great. We're all, we're still a family. But Victor still was, no, mom, we just need mom here. And then it will all be okay. We'll be a family still. Mm. I definitely, yeah, took it that way. We see him as the foil to Sydney the whole time where he's trying to be cool and roll with the punches. And we just need that reminder at the end that, he still misses the way things were. It's a much more effective scene with Victor calling than if Sydney had, and it could have just as easily been her doing it. But I thought, you know, I feel like a theme of this podcast episode is we're talking about like, why do human beings on the show do things versus why are the like writers of the show doing it? Well, of course the writers on the show have Victor be the one to call because it's just much more impactful. But I think what Lindsay and Jay just said makes a lot of sense. Like, that it actually like works, you know, on a human level too, that like a kid would be putting up a front and acting like he's okay, but really it's the most stable thing he's ever had. Yeah. Beautifully put. Yeah. I also wonder, we haven't seen this, but what the particulars of his relationship with each parent are and what he gets from them. Like I know for me, I would always go to my dad for problem solving and actual advice. And I would go to mom for comfort. Mm. And so if I had a bad dream, I would wake up mom, not dad. There's no problem to solve. And so why bother dad? That's not his area. Wow. I just need to be consoled and comforted. Wake up mom. (laughs) Sure. So maybe that's also part of Victor's relationship with her that we just haven't seen up to now. I know 
Jay and maybe Lindsay, but I know I Jay's kids will wake her up and say they had bad dreams. I also know that sometimes they're lying and it's just a delay <laughs> tactic to, to avoid going to sleep. But do you have any strategies for getting them back to bed or comforting them when they do have bad dreams? You know, it happens rarely enough that we usually just let them join us for the rest of the night. Oh. There's no secret there. <laughs> <laughs> Lindsay, do your kids ever wake you up saying they had bad dreams? Uh, they won't usually wake me up. They'll just come climb in bed uh, and then tell us about it in the morning. And they, they will break your heart. I <laughs> tell you what, it's bad dreams. I'm like, you could have woken me up. Did you dream about this again? But... Yeah. Well, it's interesting because um, with the exception of your oldest, Lindsay, you know, all your kids are so much younger than Victor. And so like, that's an interesting thing as well. Like at what point, I mean, even if they were all in the same house, he probably wouldn't climb into bed at that point. Right. Like he would want comfort. And like, it just, it occurs to me, like he seems so young in that scene, like really vulnerable, younger than he is. Now you're even making me wonder if he actually was scared or if he was just sad. Yeah, that's probably I mean, was, it. Was he having bad dreams? Was it elevator noises? Or did he wake up in the middle of the night and go, Mom's not here and this is so depressing. And Sydney had gone to, I guess she did go and crawl into Joel's bed. So like he was yeah. totally alone in that room. Maybe he just needed to not feel alone. Ugh. Yeah, I thought the whole episode was especially heartwarming. Like every storyline felt like it was to make you wish you were part of that family in the way that, like I said, sometimes I don't understand when people <laughs> wish to be part of the Bravermans. And I thought, well, if you if you saw this episode, I think you'd get a pretty positive impression of them. Yeah. A very loving, tight-knit, supportive family. And that was true of Julia and her siblings, true of Drew going to his grandparents, true with Victor calling his mom. They know they can count on each other yeah just like i can count on you guys i am really glad that caleb had the idea to have you both on because i was i think it made me more emotional watching this episode too thinking about both of you being on and like kind of having that special event that you know jay will talk about and i thought that was really nice i will mention you know my brother and i have like kind of an interesting dynamic where we're not close the way that you guys are close we've always kind of had our own thing and we've been like kind of having a tough year and we hadn't seen each other in a long time like a year and we just saw each other like a couple days ago and it was really interesting because like we hugged we got into the car which mark was driving and then without like looking at me he just like handed me this picture and then was like looking ahead and talking to Mark and I just look at the picture and I don't even know what it is but it's like him and me like 20 years ago probably and I don't recognize like I don't know where we are I don't know exactly how old we are like what the context of it is or anything but it made me feel like crying like I don't know (laughs) I don't even know why I'm saying this but like this episode basically it like really captures what I love most about the show and I really felt like we weren't getting much of that in a while. And so I, I think it, I was just very emotional watching it for lots of reasons, but like them having their like dumb impromptu dance party, like they do. I was like, Oh, I love it. I love it. I don't know. <laughs> it was just making me very emotional. So I think I just seen my brother. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so. perfect. Just those reminders that your family. Yeah. 
It was also very Braverman-centric. I realize a lot of this season has been occupied with Ryan or with Ed or with Hank, kind of outsiders. Yeah. And this episode did feel like, I mean, there was the realtor. <laughs> Were there any <laughs> other guest stars? It was like, oh, it yeah. was just mostly, uh, I mean, Amy and Natalie. I oh, guess. and Carl. But like, yeah, recurring, but, they're recurring, you know? Yeah. yeah, it really did feel like, let's focus on the family. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, as we're recording this, we are just days away Aww. from all getting together and all hanging out. So yes. we're going to have our own version of dance party, which for our family does not include dancing. <laughs> it's more game playing, checks mix. I was going to say KB mix yeah. and terrible TV. And games. That'd be great. Can't wait. (laughs) Well, thank you both for coming back. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having us. This was really nice. And thank you, listeners, for, you know, listening, not to be redundant. Um, If you would like to check us out on social media, um, we are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Parenthood Pals everywhere. You can find all of our info at parenthoodpals.com. Until next time, may God bless and keep you always. And may your wishes all come true.